Hello, Bulldogs. Thank you for tuning in to Who's Behind the Bulldog, Arvada High School's community interview podcast series. I'm your host and one of the assistant principals at Arvada, Jeremy Jensen. Each week, I'll sit down with someone from our Arvada community, be it staff, students, families, or other community members, to hear their stories. We'll discuss their histories, successes, challenges, learnings, future hopes and dreams, and much more. I hope you find some connections in their stories and hopefully are inspired to take some time to get to know them a bit better as our school year progresses. We have an amazing community here at Arvada, and I hope we can continue to strengthen that despite the challenges that await us in these unknown times. Today's guest on Who's Behind the Bulldog is Joel Carta. Joel is one of our ESL teachers at Arvada, and this year teaches ESL English 1, ESL 1 2, Lytic Cell 2, Bicycle Maintenance, ESL 3 4, and ELL Support. In our conversation, Joel discusses his history from working in the airlines and ground service to teaching English overseas in Japan and Thailand to becoming an ESL teacher here at Arvada. He shares about his love for teaching the students at Arvada and why he's so proud of the music program he has developed with his ESL students. He describes the teaching proficiency through reading and storytelling, TPRS, approach, and how this has transformed his teaching. Joel is an amazing educator, and I hope you enjoy today's episode of Who's Behind the Bulldog. Joel, thank you so much for joining me today for Who's Behind the Bulldog. Of course. You're welcome. How are things going? How are you doing? Um, despite all of the all of the crazy things happening this year, I'm having a good year. And um, you know, sometimes I'll joke about that, like, oh well, there's you know, we're in a pandemic and the world is on fire, but it's a good day, wasn't it? <laughs> you gotta keep the bright spots, right? Like you gotta yeah. hold on to the things that are going well, otherwise um we're not gonna survive this thing, you know. Joel, first question for you. Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what brought you into education. Um, well, I'm getting up there in years now, so it's kind of a long story, but um, I'm from Colorado. I grew up here and I went to uh, Bear Creek High School. So I've lived close to here for most of my life. But after college, I moved off to L.A. and I was working for the airlines as ground service. Um, you know, one of those guys that brings in the planes with the signals and yeah, cool and mistreats, job. mistreats your baggage and <laughs> throws it all around. Um, and I was just doing that because I had heard of uh, somebody else who was traveling for really cheap for doing that. It's like, oh, that'd be a cool thing to do after college and just try to travel. Um, and so I did it for a while here in uh, at the I started at uh, Stapleton Airport. And it was right when DIA was opening up. I'd worked there for a little bit and then I transferred to LA, moved out with a friend. And basically for a couple of years, I was just working in LA and traveling all over the world for cheap. And that kind of turned into, I just got hooked on learning Spanish. I never really took Spanish. I didn't take Spanish at all in university. Then I ended up you know, working with all these Latino guys at the airport. And then I was traveling to all these Spanish speaking countries. And then it just kind of became my thing. And my dad was a teacher. He actually taught in Jeffco and retired from Jeffco. He was a math teacher and taught, uh, started at Ken Carl. Then he was at Alameda for a long time. And then he retired in Dakota Ridge. 
he actually still helps our students sometimes. Um, I'll have students call him up if I can't help them. Ah, call my dad. He's always mm -hmm. happy to help. So, so after I started learning Spanish, I thought maybe like I kind of maybe I could teach ESL, and turned out. I couldn't. I wasn't qualified for the jobs I was looking for in LA, um, but I ended up getting a part-time job as a teacher assistant. And then once they knew that I had a little Spanish under my belt, they had a teacher who was retiring um, from the bilingual program. Was, this was in elementary school. And they asked if I wanted to come in on an emergency credential and I needed to take the Spanish test at the for the district and I got a decent score on the test, good enough for, uh, with that and my bachelor's degree, I was able to be a teacher. And so it's kind of ridiculous when I think back at it, you know, I was like 24 years old. My Spanish was horrible. I had no experience teaching and they gave me a second grade class full of 30 Mexican kids and I was supposed to teach all subjects in Spanish. And so I could barely speak Spanish. I had no classroom management skills and was like, okay, how much are you going to pay me? And the pay was good. So I was like, okay, let's do it. Um, how did you survive that? Uh, well, I learned a lot more than the kids did. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, and after, you know, jumping in head first to something like that, you learn quickly. Um, and so they, they paid for my, certification um and then i was you know that just changed my life a lot next thing all of a sudden i was speaking spanish all day long every day and then when i got a break i was flying to puerto rico and costa rica and spain and so that just sort of took over my life for a while i did that for a few years but then i wanted to change things up and i but I was still into the language thing and I went off to Japan. And now that I had the teaching certificate, it was easy for me to get work out there. And I taught English out there to adults originally. And then in all kinds of situations, I taught private lessons. I taught elementary school, eventually ended up teaching university. And I was just gonna do a year and I ended up doing like six years and in the middle of that also did a year in Thailand as well at a um, international K through 12. Um, so did some overseas teaching and then ended up back here at Arvada and I've been in Arvada since 2007. So when you um, were, when you were teaching over in Asia, was that like kind of, were you teaching English or Spanish? I was teaching or? English. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I thought I was going to stay there for a year, but I was, even though I was in Tokyo, um, I was making decent money and having fun. So I was like, I'm going to stay another year. And then I ended up getting my master's degree out there too. There was a um, Temple University had a program for TESOL, teaching English to students of other languages. So I did my master's out there through Temple University. What were some of your biggest takeaways from your experiences of teaching and living over there? <laughs> a funny one um, in terms of language learning. Um, I was always a big fan of, so I don't know, I don't know how common this is in, in other fields, but 
Krashen is a big researcher in the language acquisition field. And one of his big ideas is basically if we get input that's one level above what we already know, if you get enough input, your brain kind of makes sense of it and you don't really need to study explicit grammar or vocabulary. It's kind of learning like a, like a kid, like it'll just happen. And that worked well for me for Spanish. And then I also, I didn't mention this, but I also studied Portuguese before I went to Japan and it kind of clicked for me fast. And that was my strategy when I was in Japan. And after about a year, I was making some progress, but I had a friend who was really good at Japanese. And he's like, Joel, you need to study some grammar. <laughs> I can't understand what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> and so it's just such a different language um, that if you don't really take some time to study the nuts and bolts for some explicit grammar, that it doesn't necessarily click the way a language that's similar, you know, Spanish and, and English are very similar if you want to compare it to English and Japanese. So that was a big takeaway just as far as the language. It was also tough to break into the culture as well until I had some Japanese under my belt because it's just, it's kind of closed in that way. They want to talk with Americans really bad, but they're terrified of speaking English. And until I had a bit of fluency with, with Japanese, it was just tough to make friends who weren't over there for the same reason as me, teaching and working. Wow, what an experience. Um, it, was, it was wonderful, yeah. I want to pick your brain about that some other time. I'm sure, familiar. sure. Um, let's go back to our value. You said uh, since 2007, so you've been here for, yeah. for quite a while. Um, what keeps you coming back each year? Um, uh, what are, yeah, just tell about your journey here at Arvada. I love working with the kids who are brand new to the country. And I feel like, I feel like they have a natural motivation. Like they basically need me more than most typical students need their teachers. Like I'm sort of a big piece of their survival. And since I've, done a lot of that myself. I sympathize with them a lot and I like being that that bridge for them. Well, I know the kids absolutely adore you. They absolutely like worship the ground you walk on and they're so fortunate to have you in their life. So I'm, I'm glad that you have chosen to not depart Arvada. So thank <laughs> Thanks. What are you most proud of in your time here, would you say? One of the things that... Um, I think that I've been most proud of and the students have been most proud of isn't necessarily academic, but when we have been able to perform at rallies, like that has just been exciting because a lot of times the kids I have, you know, they're literally foreigners. And a lot of times that makes them hard to be a part of the school community and to fit in, they tend to gravitate towards their own little groups but they're, they're, the mainstream community is still sort of out of reach for them a lot of times. And when we've done, when I've done music with them, you know, 90% of the kids have never done music. And so I've gotten better at teaching some 
you know, really simple patterns to where I can get a group of kids when they're all doing, you know, one kid's doing a very simple pattern, but another kid's doing a simple pattern that goes with it. And then you get five, six kids together, all of a sudden that makes magic, even though the individual parts aren't that hard. And it's magic for me, magic for them, and good enough to where we thought like, oh, this is actually good enough. We can, we can take this outside of the classroom. And then, you know, the few times when we've done some rallies and they've got the whole school cheering for them, um, that's just super exciting for them to feel like they've, you know, they're not only part of the community, but the whole, they're up in front of the whole school and, you know, people are cheering for them, spotlights on them. So I've been proud of those moments. They're awesome to see. Um, those, the rallies, the, the couple times I saw last year, um, was very heartwarming, I guess, like just to kind of see the, mm -hmm. and the joy that were in them and that they're bringing to others. Have you thought about recording anything this year and trying to do some remote? Um... Uh, we did something for uh, Dia de los Muertos, Day of the Dead. Um, and we were working with, with uh, Sergio and some kids did some, some individual videos that we we're going to try to stitch all together. I'm not sure how the progress is on that. We, we, we did our recordings though and used uh, Sergio's new studio and um, it, sh it should look and sound pretty nice, I hope. I look forward to hearing some of that and seeing some of it. Um, and thinking about how you engage your students, because you're so good at it, um, what are some strategies that you use uh, in order to bring learning to life for all of your kids? Um, so for building relationships, I the biggest thing for me is humor. Um, also, um, music, as I just talked about, and then since I've been, since language was my thing for a long time, like even, you know, it, it's very easy with the Spanish speakers to just speak Spanish with them. And that's an instant in like, oh, wow, look at this. I didn't expect this guy to speak Spanish, but here we are. Um, so that's obviously an easy connection, but even with the kids whose languages I don't speak. Um, I always pick up a few words here and there and end up using those in a humorous way. Like in Russian, I know like three words. It's um, salon, which is elephant, urazna, which is like horrible, awful, and benuchka, which is stinky. <laughs> and somehow I'm able to get by with just those three words and uh, <laughs> the elephant is just <laughs> um, but it's funny that it, it's so often a lot of times I can actually throw that in in an example and they always think it's hilarious and um, it, it just works so humor is one of the biggest things and and again just understanding their situation and a lot of times being able to give them that metacognitive feedback, you know, because if you've ever tried to speak to someone in a different language, it's a, it's kind of a terrifying experience. It can be very awkward when you're like, oh my God, I've asked them three times to repeat that and I'm still not getting it. How the hell, how the hell did I get out of here? <laughs> it's mm -hmm. terrifying. And so just giving them that feedback, like, hey, you know what? 
everybody goes through this and I went through it and the student next to you is going through it too. You're not the, you're not alone here. So having somebody that has been through that experience and can kind of help guide some of the emotional parts of it too, mm -hmm. um, is, is comforting. Yeah. Modeling the vulnerability is just so helpful for students to be able to. Right. Right. Um, thinking about some of your most successful projects um, that you've implemented before, what have, what have you found to be most successful? Um, what made them successful? I kind of want to talk about what I've done for the past couple of years as far as teaching those kids. I've been talking about the, the ones I enjoy working with the most that have basically have no English. Um, and for, for a long time, I thought I was using a methodology that I had never had training on. I, I mentioned crashing before, and I kind of had this idea of like, if kids had a lot of input, things would all come together for them. Um, and so I, I loosely used my interpretation of this methodology that I had learned a bit about in, in grad school. It's called TPRS, um, Teaching Proficiency Through reading and storytelling but my when i actually took a training on it last year my understanding of how it worked was very impoverished <laughs> there was a lot more to it than i realized and uh learning some of those techniques and actually getting some of the materials just taught me how to teach using that style so much better and also made me realize um also made me realize just how a lot of times I assumed that kids were understanding more than they actually were understanding. And I'm sure that most of the teachers here had that same experience just because when that's how, that's how life works in your native language. You talk to people, they understand, they, they nod their head <laughs> and you think that the information is getting in there. And, because you just assume that's how it works and I'm not in my head now yeah <laughs> and but the way that um tprs works is it's kind of it, it's it's through these very basic stories and it's kind of one sentence at a time but you do it in a conversation style to where there's constant um interaction so for example it will start with like oh there is a girl the girl is susan and then you don't go on. You interact with just that sentence, that first part of the story, and then you start asking them questions. And they're, they're very simple questions that students can handle. Like, okay, is this a girl? And <laughs> after you just said, this is a girl. Like, this is how, we, how simple it is. Like, you can't imagine how basic it is. This is a girl. And then you ask them, is this a girl? And then those first weeks, like, that's hard. Mm -hmm. They're like, what? And you can say, yes, yes or no? Is this a girl? Yes. And then you ask, is this a boy? No. And then, okay, they're getting it. You're having a conversation. And then you're like, who is the girl? And they're like, no. <laughs> no. And you start to realize like, oh my God, even at this extremely basic level, like they can't, they can't handle this yet. And you start to realize like, wow, when I was feeding them this information that I thought was simple, like, they were probably getting very little of that. So it's taught me to slow way down, interact at the 
sentence level, but then it's all um, embedded into a larger story. And then there's a lot of repetition of stories. So like the same pattern of the story will happen with slightly different characters. They go to different places, but basically still very simple story, but similar interactions. So the next time they hear like, who is the girl, then they start to learn like, oh, that's not a yes or no question. I need to say the name. So learning the techniques for that has helped me understand the kids level much better and also helped me to have the tools for taking kids from, from that level and helping them have the language to, to progress. Um, and it's also affected Kayla as well, because Kayla has started using TPRS in her Spanish classes too. Um, and she's also been amazed with it and really loves teaching using that style, so. Yeah, I think I observed once last year in Kayla's room and she had this student like kind of leading it up in the front of the classroom. And it was um, like clearly effective, like just the little bit that I saw. Um, yeah, I was just telling her last night that she, because she hasn't done the training. I kind of worked with her. I was excited about it. She's like, oh my God, I'm gonna, I like this. I'm going to do it too. Um, and you said there was a, a second thing that you wanted to share too about what projects you're working uh, on. Well, I think that was kind of to a, a, an upcoming project. Um, so maybe I can just segue into that. Like I, I started the, the bike program last year. Um, it's kind of interesting how that started, I guess. Um, I, had a, I had a couple weeks a few years ago where I, I really wanted kids to take charge of their learning and um, trying to remember exactly how I did it. But basically I was like, I, you know, this week, I want you to study what you're interested in. And I don't know how you're gonna do that. You might find a book, you might find it on the internet. There might be movies about it, you might, want to call someone who's interested in it whatever i just kind of left it open and tried to give them some resources and uh there were several kids who were really interested in in cars and i was amazed at their conversations like wow you know this is a kid when we're when we're talking about uh a reading we've done they just clam up completely and I couldn't get anything out of them. And then I heard them talking about cars and they could like talk circles around. It's like, oh my God, like, you know, really tapping into background knowledge that, that, that they were interested in. And to make a long story short, like I, I have no skills with cars. I, there's nothing I can teach them. Like they, they would be teaching me. But recently I got into bikes. Like I haven't been into bikes my, my whole life. I mean, I've been a little bit into them, but just recently I, I got a few electric bikes and I created this tour. I live in Boulder and I created this tour of Boulder on e-bikes. So over the summer, I, um, Airbnb has a whole extra um, section now called experiences where when you go to a certain city, you can look up um, experiences that locals are doing. And I created this one for tours on e-bikes, electric bikes. Um, and then 
it got me. So I took a couple classes on doing some bike repair and then it kind of dawned on me like, oh, I wonder if this is something I can offer to students to where we're, you know, we can't work on cars. I don't know anything. And it's a huge, uh, huge investment to get something like that. But bikes might be a possibility. And uh, Gina was wonderfully supportive in that. And we got it off the ground. Um, and it was was going great last year. We I actually gave them the tour up in Boulder. I took about 10 kids up there. Um, and we did the whole tour around Boulder and rode all over the place. Um, we had a great time. And then we were going to do a similar thing in Arvada. They were going to plan tours. But then, of course, we all went on lockdown and that all that all ended. Um, but that's the plan for this year. Again, we'll see how things turn out. But we also added on, uh, we are converting some regular bikes into electric bikes. So we have three kits um, that we've already started on. And we're going to be converting three or four bikes into electric bikes. And then hopefully planning tours once spring rolls around. And there will be some kids uh, taking interested teachers and students and parents and community members. Um, They're gonna plan a tour around Arvada. And um, we're hoping to make it a kind of continual fundraiser to where we can keep the program, um, make it self-sustaining. Um, so yeah, if you are uh, anyone listening, interested in, in trying out an e-bike, they're super fun. And uh, we're going to have some kids lead you around to some cool spots in our app. I can't think of anything more fun to do. <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> it's been a slam dunk up in Boulder. Like every time I take people out, they have a blast. That's awesome. Yeah. Joel, talk with me a little bit about equity. Um, from your lens, what is an equitable education? How do you promote equity in your classroom? Uh, often at a massive disadvantage. As I've been talking about, a lot of my students come with, uh, a serious disadvantage linguistically and um, my job is to sort of be that bridge and to help them enter into the school community and the, and their academic life um, and and so that's that's basically my my role for equity but beyond that you know as I just talked about like with the bike program some of these kids who who don't necessarily have as big of a language challenge because they've lived here most of their life but they haven't always been good in the academic world these are a lot of the kids i have for like literacy acceleration to a class like that um and i was talking about how if we're talking about something with reading or writing like they that's never been something they've excelled in but if i can find a way to get them to talk about cars or something else that they're interested in, where they do have a lot of background knowledge and where they do have a lot of fluency, let's call it, then that turns that into an asset. And that's what, what gives me ideas like doing this bike program, for example, like it's, it's engaging, um, but it's also academic in a way where you know, you're learning how to do something, you take action and like, you know, next thing you know, presto changeo, you've got an 
electric bike. And then I also think about ways to, you know, if they're leading, if they're leading a tour of Arvada, like this takes a whole bunch of research, like, okay, where are you going to take people? And what are the logistics of this? Um, so it's, it's connected to some of their, their assets, but also, also challenging to them. So I, I try to be a bridge by understanding where they're at. Um, but it's, uh, a lot of it is dealing with kids on, as individuals, because it's, it's unrealistic to think that, you know, some of my kids that just came here this year and they're, you know, 17 years old, um, it's unrealistic to think that all the kids that come like that are, yeah, next, you know, they're going to be ready for CU, you know, next year. They're, it's just not going to happen. It's too big of a, an obstacle. But at the same time, there are kids that, you know, I have when they're freshmen or sophomores. And I uh, just heard from Benel. She was so excited yesterday. She got her, uh, she got accepted into Mesa. And, you know, students like that, they, they pick things up fast. They're highly motivated. They, they want to take the academic track. And so it's equity to me. It's kind of on an individual basis and just trying to be a bridge for whatever that particular kid needs. What are, what are some things you're like most excited about looking forward? Well, the, the e-bikes this year, that's, that's exciting. And the kids that have started working on it are, are very excited about that. And again, as I was talking about, I'm, I love teaching TPRS. And so now that I have a clear picture of where they're at as I do these lessons, it's very fun to watch them progress. Um, and also this year, um, we, we got a lot of new kids that are those, those brand new kids, brand new to English. Um, and they just have really good attitudes and they're, they're fun to work with. They're a little bit, a lot less challenging than, uh, some of the students that, um, Carolyn and I, and a lot of other teachers have had for, uh, the last three years, we had a challenging group of boys. Um, and so the, we've got some fresh faces that are, are really nice to work with. Um, and surprisingly throughout, um, all of the strangeness of teaching hybrid and teaching online, um, even smaller groups has made, has made some things more manageable. I'm helping a lot of kids with math and, um, in the past, a lot of times I've, I've tackled that. And to be honest, like I just have failed. Like it's just gotten too big and it's like, oh, okay. I was kind of doing well helping these two kids with algebra, but then four kids popped up that needed help with geometry. And then by the time I got that figured out, then six kids and like, hey, can you help me with algebra too? And I'm like, oh my God, I'm, and I got all my own classes and it's just overwhelming. But um for this semester um just with having fewer kids in the classroom it's just been more manageable um and i and i feel like that's going better and i also feel like 
it's hard to say just because we're not all together, but I feel like in the school in general, since, you know, when you tend to go down the hallways or if you're in the front of the building, there's more adults than students. And it feels like we have a handle on some of the, some of the culture of the school just because we were kind of outnumbering <laughs> the students so we can have some more control. It's not just the typical madness in the hallways that's, that's really hard to, to manage. And I don't know if that's, if the kids are gonna get used to that and that's gonna carry over once things start to normalize. Um, but at least for now, it's an opportunity to, to change some of those behaviors that are, are really tough to change when it's had the same momentum for years. That's a good point. Um, you know, it's the depth of the relationship when there's um, less students around, like you, it's a lot more individualized attention, right? And uh -huh. like yeah, the ability to be more equitable because you can figure out what individual kids need more. Um, next year, um, we are gonna become a dual language school um correct is like, that's like kind of down the pike is there anything that you can preview or share with the listeners about maybe what to expect next year a lot of it's still in the brainstorming mode um we just had a meeting and there are a lot of ideas floating around and it's just kind of um nothing's clear yet so i, I don't have anything clear to to share but um there are more uh spanish speakers in the building than than I realized. So we have, uh, there are a lot of cool opportunities for that. And it sounds like it's just going to keep growing. So um, I, yeah, I don't have any, we don't have a, a, a clear vision yet, but yes, it's, it's talks are being had and the wheels are rolling. That's all right. Like, sorry to put you on the spot on that. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. I heard the meeting was, was awesome. Like lots of this brainstorming spaghetti on the wall um, just generated a lot of, um, you know, great excitement and ideas. Yeah. Um, Joel, anything that you're personally focusing on this year for yourself instructionally? Um, well, I think I've kind of mentioned some of those things, but um, I sort of wanted to talk about, you know, some of the remote teaching. Um, it was it has been interesting to to see how kids react to things um when we were when we were all in on lockdown at the end of last year last school year um, you know at the beginning I was kind of trying to do my 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 regular lessons and kids were following along as as well as they could and then I started to get more creative, but I think that was also at the same time when students started to realize like, you know what, I don't think my grade's gonna change. <laughs> I think I'm gonna, I'm not gonna work so hard at this. And so unfortunately, as I got more creative, um, there was there was a bit less um, response from the students or maybe my creativity just <laughs> did, maybe it fell flat, um, but but I don't think so. I think it was more of just the, the circumstances. Um, 
but I, I started to do some things to where I would give them some options. You know, we had been in lockdown a lot longer than everyone thought and it's just weird. And so some of the weeks I was like, okay, I'm going to give you guys a bunch of options. You know, one option is if you, if you want to make a video for this, make a video for this. If you want to, if you want to do the regular work, here's the regular assignment as we always have it. If you just want to talk to me on zoom about life and about whatever, call me up and we'll just, we'll just talk in English. We'll practice English. You know, we don't need to have a formal lesson. Let's just talk. And, um, and uh, I allowed some kids to do music. And so a, a lot of kids came through with that and it was fun, different way to connect with them. And it's interesting to see just how this has forced us to all make changes that we, we, we didn't expect. And just as far as, uh, keeping myself sane, you know, for the first few weeks, it was like constantly on a computer, on my phone. And, uh, and eventually I started just like doing housework, like, like I just decided oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paint this whole room. <laughs> and then I couldn't believe how therapeutic that was just to kind of do something mindless, physical, um, and that carried on through the whole summer. Like I've just been like renovating my house and you must have a dope house now. Working on working on my backyard, and that has like just kept me sane and also kept me in shape. I've decided I, I love uh, I love manual labor. <laughs> well, this isn't my best failure, but um, it, it was a very hard question. I didn't have a great thought for that, but um, what came to mind, I can't remember how long ago this is, you, you'll remember if you were here, was in one of our uh, first days back to school, we had some, basically we were asked to do some sort of silly trick for the staff and my group, we didn't really come up with anything and it occurred to me, I can do this stupid human trip trick where I jump through my leg I've always been able to do it. And I was like, ah, I, ah whatever, uh, this is stupid, but I'll do that. And, and I totally fell. <laughs> I've never fallen in my whole life doing that stupid trick. And I fell in front of the whole <laughs> staff. Did yeah, I've, I've got no, I've got no great wisdom with, with that one, but. Uh, yeah. Did, um, did anybody get that recorded on camera by chance? I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> I followed through them. I was like, no, wait, I can do this. But the, the, the embarrassment <laughs> didn't wipe off. Joel, what would you say is your one big piece of advice for other educators? Um, so this one's com completely unacademic. But uh, when I first started at Jeffco, um, once you're doing all your paperwork at the Ed Center, they they... I, I assume that they still do this, but they, they tell you, it must be like the benefits meeting and they tell you about the other accounts you can do like the 403B and the 457. And for the past couple of years, I've been really interested in listening to all these like financial independence podcasts and just being smarter about money. And there was one of them, 
I don't remember the exact title, but you know how as teachers, we always kind of feel like we get the short end of the stick with our salaries, which is true compared to a lot of other professions. But the title of this podcast was something like the unfair advantage, unfair economic advantage that teachers have with the 403B and the 457. And it's like, what? Oh, wow, that's cool. We have a unfair economic advantage. And so the whole thing was about how in most professions, we don't have access to these tax advantaged accounts. And so I want to give advice to new teachers and older teachers. If you aren't putting money or if you don't have those accounts set up, like if you, if you throw a hundred, $200 into each of those accounts every month, you're going to be surprised after a few years, how much it has grown. And if you can do even more. So I guess this officially makes me old if I'm saying like, <laughs> you need to save for your future. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's amazing compound interest. And especially when you don't have to pay taxes on it. And we have two of those accounts. So 403B 457, if you don't know anything, know anything about it, come talk to me. And I'll also find that, um, that podcast. Um, I think he's called the millionaire teacher. I think the guy who does it has a podcast called the millionaire, millionaire teacher, but I heard it on a different, uh, podcast. But if you start throwing a significant amount of your check into that, 10 years later, you're going to thank me. I'm sure in 10 years, people are going to call you up and thank you for this advice. Um, Joel, it has been awesome connecting with you today. Um, you are doing just incredible things in your classroom, uh, your classrooms, I should say, um, between all the, the bike learning, the, the music, the awesome stuff you're doing with the programs uh, to move students and teach them the the language and like the the methodologies that you're using it's not a wonder that the students just absolutely love you um we're so incredibly fortunate to have you here at arvada and i have been honored to be able to talk with you today because i've learned so much from you just today thanks jeremy i enjoyed it yeah absolutely talk to you soon joel all right